What if you could say an all-in yes to yourself for 2022? What if you could commit fully to the things you said you were going to do, to the vision that you have, and to be in the room with a mentor who will hold you accountable, cast an even wider vision for you, and give you the strategy, tools, tactics, and support to ensure that these things come to fruition. Welcome to the iconic experience. Oh, just like comes out of me from the depths of my soul, this program, if I can even call it that. It's just not. That's why it's called the iconic experience. It is an experience. And it is one of the biggest gifts I've ever put out into the world. You are going to be part of a mastermind, a high level executive roundtable of perfectly welcomed in and invited in souls who will collaborate with you and network with you and stretch you and share ideas and all the goodness that comes out of a mastermind is so extraordinary. So you're going to have that every month. You're going to have group Voxer. So that mastermind stays active and you can drop in and ask questions and really share with one another and build deep, meaningful relationships. And on top of that, I thought, what could I do to expand this beyond something that I've seen out there in this world? And that is you have a full iconic experience by welcoming yourself into the rooms of everything I launch live in 2022. So you do not need to contemplate whether you should or do I want to invest. You get to sit back and receive for the entire year as the result of a single yes to yourself. One yes gets you a mastermind for the entire year full of really wicked women, group Voxer with these same women and myself, and you walk in the room for all the live coaching programs that I launch in 2022. You're just in. You're in the room. So this is really for the woman who is ready to lead, lead herself, lead her business, lead her life. And if this sounds like, ooh, it's a prayer I've been asking for, and I just want to say yes to something and just enjoy the experience versus looking constantly for the next thing, the next answer, the next coach, oh, the confusion, the chaos, the energy that is expended through that. Welcome to the iconic experience. You can come into the DMs tell me you're interested, ask the questions. I am so excited to answer them and to get to know you and see if this is a fit for you. Welcome to the best year of your life in 2022. And I'm telling you right now, the iconic experience is going to be like the rocket that's going to take you to the whole new level, the one that you've been asking for. The way that women relate to food, if it's disordered or if it's governed by these rules, robs them of that potential. It has to, because to maintain control over eating when your body is literally begging you to feed it. That's not willpower. That's white knuckling. And I don't like using the word willpower because I don't think it's a good descriptor. I don't think it's the right descriptor. I think when your body's biology is telling you, you need to feed me, you need to feed me. And those hunger cues are getting louder and louder. And then you do give in. That's just the restriction pendulum swinging. Welcome to the Becoming Iconic Podcast. I am your host, Jen Spiegel. I am a life, business, and brand stylist. And after years of helping thousands of female entrepreneurs grow successful businesses and lives, I was called to bring these delicious conversations forward for those of you who are ready to build, expand, and actually enjoy all the desires of your heart. I'm so confident that this podcast will support you as you start to elevate and pursue the highest version of yourself. Thank you for being here. Sink in and enjoy. Hey, Icons, welcome to today's podcast in a highly anticipated conversation with my friend, Shannon Smith, who has been a mental health nurse for years, specializing in eating disorders, and is now really not taking a pivot, but more of an extension into becoming a certified intuitive eating counselor, helping women and men all over the world really become, I would say, in touch and in peace with their body and their eating. And I know that this has been a lifetime struggle for me. And I do not feel alone in that. So Shannon, I'm really excited to have an open and vulnerable conversation with someone who I trust 
who I know has everybody's best interests at heart. And I just want to welcome you to this podcast and thank you ahead of time. Oh, thank you. I have tears in my eyes as you said that. I'm I'm so honored that you asked me. I'm honored to hear you call me a friend and that you trust me. And I really, this is my passion. This is something that I don't take lightly. I'm thrilled to be able to reach more people with this work now. It's been a long time coming for me. And it's really come from my own experience of seeing people struggle so much with their relationship with food and seeing that pain firsthand in an inpatient psychiatric setting. But knowing as I sit beside these women at the table in that setting, that this is happening at kitchen tables around the world. This is happening in people's homes. People aren't talking about it. We have 80% of people, this is research has found, have dissatisfaction with their bodies. And we have this culture that is so permeated and really hijacked by these diet culture messaging. So the two things coming together make for this perfect storm and a lot of unnecessary suffering. So yeah, you can probably hear me getting fired up already. (laughs) I appreciate this about you because it's a conversation I am aching to have. My whole body aches. And I think it's because I am aging. And so with age comes a little bit more wisdom, a little bit more discernment. But also this little bit of mourning, I suppose, of my journey and how much time, energy, thought, shame has gone into not just my eating, but my body. And I'd love just to ask you and and start the conversation with, how does this even happen? Is it innate in us? Is there any way of changing this dialogue and these thoughts around feeling like we need to look a certain way? No, it is not innate in us to shame ourselves. Mm. That is a learned behavior. That is things that we pick up on. It can start in our own homes for some of us. And then We start to watch our peers as we get a little bit older, and then we have social media, and that has just exploded. But no, we are born knowing how to care for ourselves and loving ourselves. That is our innate being. We are love. So it's only when diet culture grabs a hold of us that we lose that. And so what I do is I help people unlearn the shaming messages that they've taught themselves over years and years and years, literally with every encounter with food. I have to be honest. And again, I'm going to be really vulnerable in this conversation because this is a really important one. And I don't mind revealing this publicly because again, I don't feel alone in this. And I've even witnessed some of my friends on social media saying, I'm going back home or I'm going on a trip. So I've got 30 days to get into shape, even myself. My head has already triggered me to stop eating. You know, you've got to lose some weight before you get into your bikini. I mean, this is consuming me and I don't know how to shift out of it because it is so learned. And I believe I am just so attached to this belief system that my worthiness is attached to how I look, especially in a bathing suit. It just feels vulnerable in itself, right? You're partially naked. To me, it feels scary and big. I guess I'm what I'm asking is how do we start shifting away from this mindset? Where do we start? Where we start is awareness. Even you revealing, you know, this is a struggle for me, acknowledging that, noticing, okay, where am I struggling? What does that feel like in my body to have this struggle? You said fear, mm-hmm. like labeling the emotions, labeling the shame. Starting to look at the actual thoughts that come in, the panicky thoughts of, okay, I'm going on vacation. I'm going to be looked at by people. I have this fear of being judged in some way by how I look. And that's really common for women. I'm with you on that. Like being in a bikini is a whole other level than, you know, being in your day-to-day clothes as well. I get that. But it's, yeah, it's starting to look at those thoughts that you're having, just noticing. Also asking yourself, have my behaviors that I've done in response to these fears, have they matched my actual values? Or do they match some value system that was never my own, but was some learned paradigm that I wasn't born believing, but I have come to believe? 
And I know the very moment that I made a conscientious decision. And it was when Kate Moss, the model, said, nothing tastes better than skinny does. And I was at a really tender moment as a teenager. I wasn't just a naturally thin girl. I've always had weight. I remember desperately wanting to be thin. And when she said that, that was when something in my head shifted. I don't even know if I made the conscientious decision. It was just it like someone flipped the switch and food instantly became something that was almost as though it was an enemy. And I can remember even making decisions going, I'd rather be unhealthy and skinny than healthy and have extra weight. That was a decision and a choice. Do you hear that often? I don't hear people admit it as freely as you just did. So I have to applaud you on that. I know it's the underlying feeling, but I usually have to root that out. People want to believe I'm doing this for my health. Because that is really applauded, especially in today's wellness culture. And it's very socially acceptable to say, well, I just want to be healthy. I need to diet to be healthy. And my question is, how did you come to believe that dieting was the best way to take care of your health? Because when we really tease that apart, you can see, I don't know one woman who has been on diet after diet after diet who will say to me, honestly, dieting has improved my health over all these years. Not a single one. How can it? Because we're depriving ourselves in some way, shape or form. That's what a diet is. It's, it's some sort of deprivation, whether it's calorie deficit, don't eat gluten or don't eat this. And so now we're even making food uglier in our eyes and in our minds. So it's now an even scarier beast because we're not supposed to have that. How can this be healthy? You know, this is really an interesting thing because this just came up for me that I don't even know if I can articulate what health is anymore. Now I'm speaking for myself. I know I can see people and identify people, especially online who I'm like, wow, they're so healthy. They're doing all these practices and, you know, they seem to be eating really clean. (laughs) My guess it's my inner critic goes, but are they really this healthy? I just feel so skeptical. And I think maybe as women, that's where we're getting caught up is we're not walking into health because there's so much skepticism based on our past experiences. I think the skepticism can be healthy, right? I think developing the critical thinker in you in a different way is actually the path to food freedom. So when I say critical thinker, I don't mean continuing to think critically about yourself. We're well-versed in that as women. I mean thinking critically about when we look at someone else and assume that they're healthy or unhealthy based on the size of their body. Weight is not a behavior. Weight tells us very little, next to nothing, (laughs) about somebody's health. We have to consider all these other factors. And when we talk about healthy eating, it's not just having a healthy balance of food, a healthy variety of foods. That is part of it. The other huge part of it, which I would argue actually carries more weight, is our healthy relationship with food. So how are we relating to that food? Again, I'm sharing so much of my own self because I just believe if you and I have this intimate conversation, whether it's something I say or it stems a comment from you, someone's going to have this aha moment. That is my desire through this. But I know even as I eat, it's always based in shame. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is I have a salad and I'm like, oh, look at my big plate of greens and there's so much color and I'm so proud of what I've created. Then I put salad dressing on it or olive oil on it. And I go, oh gosh, here's the fat. Now I ruined it. I mean, it's constantly this conversation happening in my mind. And I can't imagine my body can be nourished as fully as it wants to be when I'm eating a beautiful plate of salad with nice olive oil on it and freshly squeezed lemon. There can't be anything bad about that. But I have associated, I have this fear of fat fear of fat in my body that it's going to make me fat. And that came from that diet culture back in the eighties where everything was fat free. So how do we start enjoying what we're eating? You're talking about this a little bit and you opened up this door. How do someone like myself or someone listening in have a piece of cake or a bowl of chips or a glass of wine or a salad and actually thoroughly enjoy the experience? 
So this is where we're getting into the intuitive eating principles. So intuitive eating is a self-care approach to eating. It is an undieting process. That being said, there are no rules to intuitive eating. There are just principles that help you in that process of unlearning diet culture messaging. And the number one principle and the reason why it's first is you really can't fully move into the others until you have this down is reject the diet mentality. So as long as you in your mind are judging foods as good or bad, healthy, unhealthy, indulgent, (laughs) sinful, I'm cheating today, I'm being good, I'm cheating, you can't make peace with food. So make peace with food is the third principle of intuitive eating. That opens up to you that is available to you once you start to pull apart that dieting mentality. And so what you start to do is you start to expose yourself to more foods And the goal is emotional neutrality. There's no elevating some foods and demonizing others. That is what has caused this unnecessary suffering in terms of relating to our foods. It's this moral value that we've attached to it. Like you said, I'm proud of myself for eating salad, right? And then I think that I'm (laughs) the worst person ever for putting oil on it. Like that back and forth is so damaging to us not only mentally, but physically. And you touched on that. You said, I know that this is nourishing food, but it can't even really do what it needs to do in my body. And there is something to that. You've heard of the placebo effect. So this, is, this is really cool research. So placebo effect, they do this in randomized controlled trials all the time for drugs. So they'll give one group this drug and they'll tell the other group that they're getting this drug. And these people who aren't getting the drug will legitimately experience benefits. So that's the placebo effect. There is this other effect that is newer in the research called the nocebo effect, where it's the opposite. We feel, and it's not just that we feel, this is not just psychosomatic, but we actually experience adverse effects to our food because we believe they're going to cause things to happen in our body. So things like bloating, and digestive issues. We talk about the mind-gut relationship and how our gut health is so important for our mental health. Well, it works the other way as well. Our mental health 100% affects our digestion, our gut health. It's a back and forth relationship. What we don't realize when we're just making health about the nutritional value of food alone, and nobody's disputing that, there is a nutritional difference between an apple and a piece of apple pie, for sure. However, what we're not considering is the effect of the stress that we put ourselves through when we chastise ourselves for eating that apple pie. All of that food worry has an effect, and it's cortisol rushing through our veins. It's adrenaline rushing through our veins, and we can't get away from that. So one food, one piece of apple pie, oil on your salad is not going to make or break you. But what will really wreak havoc on your life, I get emotional just talking about it, is constantly being in a state of fight or flight around our food, a state of fear, a Mm. state of I'm not enough, I'm doing this wrong. That is harmful. That is psychological harm. And we're conditioning ourselves and we're passing it on from generation to generation as well, which is a whole other legacy that we're not intending to leave, but we do. And I really appreciate how you connected the dots there because I have to believe that when you eat something and you taste it and you savor it and you enjoy it, that it is something your body welcomes in, even if it is a chip, you know, it's that saltiness and your body's feeling the good hormones and you enjoy it. And it just, it's another day tomorrow. But what I know as women, and maybe I'll speak for myself again, because I don't want to put words in anybody else's mouth, but what can happen is you're right. We start to eat the chips and three chips in, you're like, oh my goodness, I ruined my whole day. I've been so healthy. Now I'm eating these chips and you finish the bowl and you go to bed shaming yourself. You know, I, I wrecked it. I ruined it. And the next morning, the first thing that populates in my mind is, okay, I better deprive myself in some way today after eating those chips last night. And so I want to have this conversation today that jolts us. Like 
I almost think of it like an electrical prod, jolt us, electrocute us out of this somehow where we can start to take a breath. Is that maybe even a strategy is just take a breath and enjoy the chip? How do we get there? Yeah, so that's a piece of it. So that's taking a breath to stop and savor is so important. And that is like mindful eating. And mindful eating is a part of the intuitive eating framework, which was actually developed by two dietitians. You know, this anti-diet movement that a lot of people are skeptical about or think it must mean anti-health. If dieting is health, then anti-diet is, which is such a misconception, couldn't be further from the truth. The anti-diet movement is really led by people who care the most about (laughs) nutrition and health, nutritionists. But that whole back and forth in your brain, that is the fourth principle of intuitive eating where we challenge the food police. So the food police, are they're that inner critic, that internalized diet culture voice. It's all of the rules that you've picked up along the way, all of the messaging that tells you you shouldn't eat chips because or you shouldn't eat too many because. So when we start to tease that apart through this work, that's when we can get to, okay, like, why did I buy into that for so long? And it does take work. This is not an easy process. It sounds simple, but it takes a lot of practice. So I wish that we could just kind of jolt everybody out of it and everybody would be healed overnight. But what I've found is it really is a process and it does take time. And it's because if you've spent 5, 10, 15, 20 years or more with this, not only daily conditioning, but really like multiple times a day, I heard somebody say recently that they approximated 50% of their thoughts were consumed by their food rules and and decision-making around food. And I just think of like the joy that that is robbing and the opportunity that that is robbing for women, especially. And when we talk about intuition in women, we, (laughs) we always encourage it in other ways. We're always like, women are intuitive. Like, you know, what's best for your child. Like, you know, if you're in a situation that doesn't feel right, get out of there, like trust your intuition. Oh, but not around food because no, no, like you need, you need to follow these external rules instead of looking inward at, okay, how does this food actually feel in my body? What sounds good to me right now in terms of a food that I'd like to to savor? Am I really in tune with my hunger cues and my fullness cues? So those are a couple other principles of intuitive eating that really get derailed by diet culture. How can anybody but you tell you when you're no longer hungry and when you are full and satisfied? You can't get that from an external plan or a rule book. That comes from you. So intuitive eating, it sounds like an art. And part of it is because we were just born with that ability. But it's really based in science. It's based on interoceptive awareness, which is the same awareness we have of other bodily sensations, like a full bladder. We know when we need to go pee. Thank goodness we do. We also know when we're hungry and when we're full, unless we have hijacked that and we haven't been listening. So the whole idea of intuitive eating is listening to your body and listening to those internal cues and not just hunger and fullness, listening to your emotions. Every emotion is felt in the body, your instincts. It's all based on all of those internal cues. So it really brings you back to yourself. This is my favorite part is it reconnects you with who you are at your core. That's only been disconnected by these external messages. That's what diet culture is designed to do. It's designed to make you question yourself. It is the only industry that sells you a product that doesn't work, actually does the opposite of what it says it's going to do. So 95% of people on a diet will regain that weight within two to five years. And two thirds of those people will gain more weight than they lost. So it does, it actually ends up doing the opposite of what it promises, but then it blames you for the failure of that product. We buy into it because we've been sold these messages. And so then we buy more of the product because we think we are the problem. We are not the problem. We need to start thinking critically about where the actual problem lies. And it's in this systemic oppressive system that is diet culture. It's a system of oppression. 
I don't like to see women, anybody be held back in life. And that is really why I'm in this space, Jen. A lot of people ask me, well, what's your history? I was really led into this space because I followed my two greatest loves, food. I'm a huge foodie. I love good food. I love working with foodies. There's nothing more (laughs) rewarding to me than to help someone come back to that genuine love of food. And I would be willing to bet, Jen, that you were a foodie. (laughs) And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because I've noticed you use these words like delicious, savor. I want to give you a taste. Like I've noticed this in your language. I'm like, I would be willing to bet. No, I am. I love the stillness and you mentioned that in intuitive eating is the stillness the quietness i feel like those are the moments in my day where i sit and i'm still yeah i love food i always i was born loving food i was really praised growing up for my hearty appetite and i will acknowledge that that was because i was in a smaller body genetically so i have had this body privilege And it's not to say that women in smaller bodies don't struggle because I know they do. But for me, I was really conditioned in the opposite way where it was like, I was really protected from diet culture in a lot of ways. So when I got into mental health space, and I I worked on an inpatient psychiatric unit for 14 years. And the first couple of years, I worked with the general population. So you know, people with anxiety, depression, schizophrenia, bipolar, at their sickest, And we would have an eating disorder patient, like one eating disorder patient on the floor at a time. And I would wander into their rooms. Like it makes me cry because they weren't, sometimes they weren't even my patient. And I would just like sit with them. And I was so struck by the degree of suffering that had been created because of them trying to avoid pain or using an eating disorder as a coping mechanism to try to escape some chaos in their life. And I also really identified with a lot of their traits, like the perfectionism and the need to please and the overachiever sort of mentality and all of those things that you do to gain your parents' approval. I really identify with that, but I was like, but I love food and Thank God that that was never taken from me in some way. So that's one love. My second love is self-actualization. I've always wanted for myself more than anything to fulfill my potential. That's what I've wanted. On my dying day, I want to feel like I was completely used up in the best way. And I want that for everyone. I want that for women. I feel like the way that women relate to food, if it's disordered, or if it's governed by these rules, robs them of that potential. It has to, because to maintain control over eating, when your body is literally begging you to feed it, that's not willpower, that's white knuckling. And I don't like using the word willpower, because I don't think it's a good descriptor. I don't think it's the right descriptor. I think when your body's biology is telling you, you need to feed me, you need to feed me, And those hunger cues are getting louder and louder. And then you do give in. That's just the restriction pendulum swinging. So the more you've restricted, the more the pendulum is going to swing the other way to loss of control eating. That is not you not having enough willpower to stick to a diet. That is your body overriding, trying to survive because you are in starvation mode. Even if you're restricting what seems like a little bit, you are in starvation mode, according to your body, your body thinks it's in a famine, your body doesn't know that there's, you know, fast food on every corner, and it's easily accessible. So it's those two things <laughs> together that have brought me to this space. And it's why I'm so super passionate about mm-hmm. restoring a healthy, a truly healthy relationship with food, because I think it directly affects what women are able to do with their lives. And that's everything. Yeah. And you actually pulled that together so beautifully because what was coming up for me was how many women are held back by their fullest potential. Again, I have to bring, I'm bringing myself into this, not because I want to make this conversation about myself. So please hear me audience about this. Like it's, it's not about me. I'm just sharing these things because I believe I'm not alone in it. How many times I've canceled a branding photo shoot? How many times I've not wanted to go live on my social media? How many times 
before I was going to go on stage and speak in front of people. It was all about the way I looked, not even the focus wasn't even always on what I was going to say. It's crazy. It was more about how will I look and be presentable on that stage versus the impact. It irks me. It makes me sad and emotional as well to admit that and say that out loud. But this is where we start to create the change. It's these conversations and this honesty that's going to have all of us as women lock arms and be sisters in this, cheer each other on for the impact and the voice we have versus the way we look on the outside, the shell that we've been given. Absolutely. I'm all about going deep. And I know you are too, yep. Jen. Like, I'm not really one for small talk. You know, I always laugh with my, my husband. He invites me to like a friend's house party. And I'm like, oh, the small talk. I would rather that person, that woman I'm standing next to, tell me her deepest, darkest fears. And let's go there and let's have those conversations. Mm-hmm. And that's what's so striking to me about diet culture. It's this secrecy where when we're on the right side of these rules and when we're getting these results, we're not even looking at the process. We're not even looking at how we're getting the results. Like you said, you know, I'd rather be unhealthy and thin than healthy and, you know, have weight on my body or look fat. Like that's what it comes down to. How did we get here? How did we get here? And how do we start to pull this apart? And it is openly acknowledging these things. Like I said, like people hide it and I understand why they do. They've been shamed for it. So nobody's going to tell you when they fall off their diet wagon, quote unquote, they're only going to tell you when they're getting the results. That other side needs to be voiced publicly as a group. And we need to stand beside each other and say, you know what, this isn't about my willpower. Screw that. Like it's not. I know how hard of a worker I am. I know how I've created results in other areas of my life. This is my body's biology. It's nothing to do. The 5% of women who do maintain a weight loss over a long period of time, we've got to look at that 5% too. And what aspects of their life have they traded for that? How disordered is their eating? How intense has their obsession with food gotten? Because when I hear the word obsession, it throws up a red flag for me, a huge red flag. I, and I know I've been obsessed with things in my life. I was obsessed building my first business. Yes, I got results. But I'll tell you what also happened is there was fallout in other valued areas of my life that I then had to repair. So the same with being obsessed with food and fitness. It's like, at what cost, though? At what cost? Yeah. And, you know, here's something that comes up, too. I love this. These are such beautiful points and they're poignant. Like they're just they're piercing to me because it all makes sense when you say this. Of course, everybody's nodding their head and of, yeah, yeah, I agree, I agree. But here's one thing that I think could create a change that each and every one of us can be responsible for. And that is stop saying to a woman when she's lost weight, oh my goodness, you look so good. Yeah. Because I know for myself, I know for my friends, that is reiterating opening a wound every single time that we are worthy of praise and applause for losing weight rather than being our healthiest selves. We've got to stop saying that to one another. I completely agree. And I understand that it can feel awkward when that's the culture we've been brought up in. And it it feels awkward to be on the other side of it and to not acknowledge a noticeable weight loss. Weight loss has been held to this standard. It's something that we've been conditioned to praise, but it really takes us sitting with that discomfort. And it's something I haven't done for years and years and years, obviously, because I've been an eating disorder nurse. But I would rather say, you know, it's so good to see you. Like It's so good to see you. Why do I have to comment on your weight? Because it's exactly that, Jen. Every time we do, it reminds that woman, that person, that they are being evaluated. So, so maybe they're on the winning making air quotes, side of things right now with the weight loss, what happens a year out, two years out, put the weight back on, 
Right. And then nobody says anything. Nobody you put the anything. weight back on and you show up to a meeting or an event and you notice that nobody says, oh, you look great. Right. And you know, like mentally, I know nobody's saying that because I'm, you know, fluffier than I was the last time they saw me. And so that triggers that shame. Like, oh, I don't look good. I need to lose weight. And it's this constant cycle. Mm-hmm. And I just want out. I, I don't want to participate anymore. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I'm totally with you on that. I think I just turned 40 this year. I don't know if there's something about turning 40 where it's just like, okay, like I I don't know. I always thought of it as like the halfway point. Hopefully it's not. Hopefully I like live longer than right. 80 years, but it's really made me look at, okay, I want to engage in activities that really reflect my values, that really are in line with who I am and allow me to express my gifts fully. I just, I've seen that robbed from so many women because of diet culture. I'm going to bring up something else that I think, like, because I think people, because of diet culture, were trained to think in like these binary ways, like good, bad, like all or nothing, that sort of thing. So this notion that taking care of your health is dieting, I really want to challenge that because like with intuitive eating, honoring your health with gentle nutrition, it's it's a whole principle in there. Movement, feel the difference with movement. They've actually changed that word from exercise because so many of us have this punitive relationship with exercise. So all of that is part of the intuitive eating process. But what it's looking at is a broader definition of health. It's considering your mental health and your physical health. It's not about being on either extreme. It's about finding what actually feels good to you. And that's what's important. Taking care of ourselves in ways that feel good to us. That can be very individual, but it's not something that diet culture gets to claim. Diet culture doesn't get to claim vegetables or salads. Diet culture doesn't get to claim exercise. Diet culture doesn't get to claim meal planning. But I can't tell you how many women have told me, Shannon, I don't even know how to eat anymore. Is it okay for me to meal plan? And it's like, well, let's look at the intention behind these things. Is it okay for me to exercise? Let's look at the intention behind your exercise. Are you doing it out of a love for yourself and of genuine care for your body, your health, your well-being? Or are you doing it out of fear of what would happen if you didn't? I think about this too. So I'd love your comment on this. As you're speaking, I'm I'm imagining myself in my own sense of freedom, my freedom from constantly thinking about the good or bad, my freedom from feeling insecure, self-conscious, unworthy because I have cellulite and I'm standing in line for a water slide with my kids. Like that is probably one of my biggest fears in my entire life. Can you imagine? Gosh, I'm saying this. I'm going to cry. Like That's terrible. I I had this exact conversation with a woman I've been working with last week about standing in line for the water slides. And you know what? She identified that just as you just did. And, but because she's been working on this intuitive eating process, she was able to say, yes, I'm uncomfortable, but I know my values in this situation now, and I'm no longer going to avoid the discomfort because it's become a habit of mind to do that. I'm going to lean into the discomfort and I'm going to focus on my teenage son and ripping down the water slides with him. And yeah, it was, it was still uncomfortable for her, but she knew what she needed to do. There wasn't this confusion. So that is the process. Undoing, unlearning. What I was (laughs) unable to get out, but I'm feeling now is it's also an attachment to what you want to feel. And what I want to feel is excited and playful and joyful by going on those water slides with my kids. What I want to feel is a level of confidence because I'm being a fantastic mom and living in the moment and enjoying life. Because the opposite of that is sitting on the chair with strategically placed towels, covering up the places I want to cover up and watching the joy from the outside. And I just can't do that anymore. I've done it for years, well, my whole life, and I'm about to go on a trip and I am refusing to be that mom this time. I want to be in the water, splashing and playing. 
And so what I want to know from you, is it in fact attaching yourself more to the emotion you want to feel? Can that be helpful? Absolutely. It can be helpful. Absolutely. What you just described is what, how do I want to feel? How does this align with my true values? You know, the people who do really well on this intuitive eating journey are those who now are valuing freedom, food freedom, body freedom above weight loss and how they appear. And do you know what? It could be like a 49 to 51% split. And it will be for quite some time. But as long as there's just as little ounce more of desire towards the freedom side, you can get there. But it does, it takes practice. It's going to feel very mechanical at first. It's going to be like, oh, I'm here. You know, it's our default position is to cover ourselves up with the towels. Sometimes we yeah. don't realize we're doing it. Or the yeah. way that we stand or the way that we put a pillow in front of ourselves when we sit down <laughs> in a room with people. We're just doing these things. We've, we've learned how to cover ourselves up without even <sighs> noticing it. So the first step is noticing, oh my gosh, how sad is this? And it brought tears to your eyes, like picturing this beautiful woman doing these things to try to feel safer. And I, I want to identify like, I have so much love and respect for women. And I think that everything we've done, we've just, we're doing our best and we're trying to feel safe in this world that just doesn't feel safe to us. So it makes sense that we've done these things. We're not absurd or there's nothing broken about us. It's just pulling this away. It's, it's an uncomfortable process, but the more you're, and to use the pool analogy, the more you're willing to cannonball in the quicker it will be, the quicker the undoing will be. What I see a lot is women wanting to put their toe in the water. Oh, I'll make peace with food, but only these foods. <laughs> you know, I will challenge the food police. But if I start to gain weight, like there are conditions. So instead of an unconditional permission to eat, it's like there are restrictions there. There are conditions put in. So the more that they're able to just kind of radically go all in, the quicker the process tends to be. Easier said than done. For but sure. you bring up the word safe. And that was really big because I do believe that's what we're feeling, right? We're feeling unsafe. We're just feeling seen. We're feeling, what if somebody judges me? I mean, it even comes down to, I don't want to embarrass my husband. Like, I mean, there's some wild thoughts that are coming out through this conversation that I've never even admitted to or acknowledged before. So I appreciate this so much. But again, I, I want to be so real in this because I have to believe that other woman in the line, I mean, maybe it's the point where I look and smile at her and we realize how much we are alike versus how we feel we're so separate. We are so much alike. We are all so much alike. It's so true. 90% of the people in that line, if not more, are feeling are yeah. thinking the same things, being disconnected from their loved ones in that moment because of all of that worry and feeling unsafe in really a very safe environment. You're right. here with your family, you're meant to enjoy, you're meant to have that pleasure. And I need to bring that up. You did an amazing job yesterday. I was on day one of your three-day masterclass about pursuing pleasure. And that is what intuitive eating is. The hub of intuitive eating is the fifth principle, which is discover the satisfaction factor. But they call it the hub because it is part of all the other principles. So it is the thing that's directing all of this unlearning is I want to enjoy my life. And so when people don't trust themselves around food, because they've had, you know, foods that have been forbidden. So then when they when their body kicks in, and they're like, okay, now I'm going to eat like all of this food. There's this last supper mentality. It's because the diet starts Monday, right? But yes. really, when you take away that dieting mentality, you don't have that loss of control eating, you don't eat beyond a level of fullness that feels good in your body, because that's not satisfying either. So this whole fear we have of like, I can't be trusted around food, I need to get control of my nutrition. That's learned behavior. That's not actually the truth. But because we've been taught to not trust ourselves, we need to be taught to trust ourselves again by reversing that. And it's all about satisfaction. It's all about finding true pleasure. There are certain foods that you will find 
when you really allow yourself to explore without trying to fit into a plan or, you know, these rules about avoiding certain foods or eating, you know, in certain times of the day or counting things, (laughs) calories, macros, whatever it is that you get to discover. It's your internal feedback that you were born with that can tell you, you know, I don't, I really don't like that food. Or I actually don't like the way that that feels in my body. And it's not a diet that's telling me that, telling me to expect that. It's my own internal information that I've derived from me. (sighs) This is so good. Okay, so I am going to really encourage anybody listening to reach out to Shannon because she's about to make a revolution. I trust her and I trust what she will be able to guide us all through. But before we go there and tell people where to find you, I have this idea to vision cast right now and it's coming channeled. So we're just going to go there. (laughs) A couple of ideas for me that are coming in that I'd love again for you to either accentuate or even tweak and shift if need be, because you are the professional is I'm envisioning the woman. And there's one in particular who I used to travel a lot with who society would call heavier who we would look at and she definitely had more weight than others would. There's a big but and a huge caveat to this. She was the most fun, the most joyful, the most confident, and in my eyes, the most beautiful woman at that pool every single day. She walked around with her bikini on and she spoke to people and she bent over and It was glorious for me. I would look at her in sheer awe that she was comfortable enough to do that. And I believe in casting this vision for us is we all get to be her. We all get to not only live that experience, but we also get to be the evidence and the example for the woman who is not there yet, who is watching us in our joy, who is watching us in our pleasure. And be able to say to her, yeah, there's a whole lot jiggling around here, but we're having a really good time. So I want to challenge us to cast that vision for ourselves and our own lives. And the other vision that's coming up for me is a dream of mine is to go to Italy and to have this big, long table with many people gathered around and the art of conversation and, you know, savoring food and eating it slowly and letting it last and linger as long as it possibly can. And I believe Shannon, that that's what you're teaching us. Those two visions are what you are casting for us. And I also believe that that gets to be our experience if we step into it. I 1000% love, love your vision. That's, and what you're describing to me is really being present, Mm. being present and connected. And I don't know about you, but I, that's when I feel most alive as a woman is when I am 100% present. I'll be honest, I was super nervous before this interview. And I told myself, just be present and connect with Jen. And trust you're going to be guided and helped in this conversation in the way that you're meant to serve. You know, the woman at the pool is such an inspiration for all of us, right? She's got it. She's got it. And you can feel that in her presence. She's vibing high, right? And then being able to sit in community with a group at a table in Italy and really take everything in, take in the surroundings, take in nature, take in, like be able to actually taste the food instead of being caught up in how is this going to blow my diet? Think of the joy that is actually available to us when we're able to do that. I love, I want to be in both of those scenarios. (laughs) Me too. I want to sign up for those classes. I actually feel a level of responsibility after having this conversation because not only have I shared intimate details of my own thoughts and, and journey, but in that, I hold myself accountable to the unlearning. I hold myself accountable and responsible for living my life fully. At the end, being so happy, I went on the slides and walked down the beach holding my child's hand without the constant thought of covering up who's looking, who's judging, and instead hold his or her, because I have lots of babies, (laughs) and, and walk and just be. You said about being in the present moment, that is the most beautiful way to end this conversation because... Let's be present. Let's be curious. 
let's hold ourselves to a higher standard in terms of how we meet, greet, and eat that all rhymed. That was not meant to be, but or was meant to be maybe our food. (laughs) No, absolutely. I love how you just brought up the word curiosity too, because that really drives the intuitive eating process too, is this lens of curiosity versus judgment. That's what we're shifting here. That's all throughout. So yes, people can find me. I'm mostly on Instagram at talkwithshan, or my website is shannon-smith.ca. For anyone who wants to know more about intuitive eating, who wants to know what a next step would be, obviously, we can work with me. But if you if you want to read, I would suggest reading the intuitive eating book that was written back in 1995 by Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch. And there's also a podcast that I would refer people to the 10% happier podcast, but it's the anti diet episode that features Evelyn Triboli. And talk with Shan sounds like a really great podcast, actually. Maybe, maybe (laughs) someday, perhaps. (laughs) I want to just thank you from the bottom of my heart for being a woman who is shaking up a lot of expired beliefs. I believe they've expired and it's like cleaning out the fridge. Mm -hmm. Let's get rid of some of these ideas and thoughts and literally throw them away and invite in some fresh approaches and really liberate ourselves as women. So we actually live life fully instead of like you said, one toe in the water. Mm -hmm. I appreciate you so much, Shannon. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. I hope you know how deeply grateful I am for the time and space you give to the Becoming Iconic podcast. It is an honor and a privilege to show up here twice a week and pour into you. And thank you for those five-star reviews that you've been giving and those beautiful compliments. It means so much. And the time you spend to do that is just the most beautiful way to give back. The other thing I want to challenge us to as a community is to share more. It's so simple to copy this link into a text to a friend who you think would benefit from what you just listened to or share it into your stories. Make sure to tag me, by the way, because I love resharing and allowing your network to maybe discover something that they wouldn't have if it weren't for you. And just a gentle reminder that jenspiegel.com, that website was designed for you, for you in mind and what you need in your life and business, the blog, the resources, the different ways of working together. They all sit there and they're available to you. So I challenge you to go over there make it a habit of checking out what's new and exciting. At the end of the day, I just want you to know I love this community. I appreciate being able to show up for you and I just want you to make it a great day. 